Welcome to this episode of Untribal Politics Podcast with Innes. My name is Guy, and I'm happy to be sponsoring this episode on behalf of Precision Spirits, a small batch Edinburgh-based distillery who are always innovating on gin, delivering on flavour, and challenging tradition. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Um, I've noticed in recent days, recent weeks, recent months that there's a hell of a lot of talk about the, the trans community and not actually a, a huge amount of talk with the, the trans community. Um, I, don't, I don't know if my Twitter um, algorithms are, are showing me an, an inflammatory um, you know, divide in the conversation that we seem to be having these days, but that's certainly the the gist of what I've uh, been getting, and a lot of it includes hurtful language, you know, and an aggressive nature to the way people are talking to each other, a lot of hateful messages spread without any real understanding of what we're actually talking about here, and perhaps that's a generalization, but I think we are as a population guilty of being armchair activists without any proper perception or lived experience of the people that we're actually talking about or the you know the, the the genuine you know hardships that people face in question and we started with a campaign um with untribal several weeks ago something called educate before hate which aimed at educating people um you know encouraging people to educate themselves before they go and spread potentially hateful messages um without any sort of grounds or understanding of the topic that they're um discussing the, the topic in question and uh, the reason, you know, it wasn't this wasn't applied to the gender question exclusively, um, but it definitely gained inspiration from it. And the reason I found this topic so striking in particular is that we have genuine, a generally decent population of people. You know, we seem to be so fiercely divided on certain topics these days. And I look about, and the most people I speak to are, are we're generally good people. We're we're generally reasonable people, and yet we're so fiercely divided with with a sense of anger. Um, over topic, so I, I kind of wanted to try and neutralise the conversation, um, and 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 try and get away from this polarised understanding of of issues. And you know, it's difficult to do in this, this day and age with social media and the, and the toxic nature that it, um, that it holds. But this won't stop us trying. It certainly won't stop myself trying. Um, and we're we're trying to give a voice to uh, people from all corners of society here at Untribal. So I'll seriously stress if you do have something to say about an issue, please do and get get in touch with myself. My email is innis at untribalpolitics.co.uk and I'll provide you with that platform to speak about whatever it is that's on your mind without judgment, without prejudice. And we'll have that conversation about whatever it is that's on your mind without the gaslighting, without the inflammatory language that you do see on digital platforms like Twitter. So please do get in touch. And if you think we're pushing a certain ideology here at Untribal, I will remind people that we do operate from volunteers. Um, we've never turned anyone down that's got in contact with us that's what to get involved in the podcast or write articles for us. And we reach out to politicians from all sectors of the ideological spectrum. If you want me to publish the emails that I've sent to Conservatives over the past two years without reply... Uh, with the dates included, I certainly can do so. So yeah, the, the content is, is about regular people like you and I, um, and that's what the podcast is for. 
And in spirit of that very message, I'm here today joined by a young man called Ethan uh, that came to speak with us here in the studio this morning, uh, who in his words is just vibing the hellscape we call 2023. Perhaps he'll tell us a little bit more about why he holds those worldviews in, in just a moment. But first of all, welcome to the show, Ethan. How, how are you doing today? You all right? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, and no worries at all. And, and, and thank you for being patient with that long-winded <laughs> introduction. Um, yeah. First of all, who are you, Ethan? You know, why, why have you come to speak to yeah. us today? Um, I am just a transgender person mm-hmm. living in Scotland and trying to survive in the UK. Right. Um, it's been... I personally came out um, about seven years ago. Right. Um, I've been medically transitioning for the past five years. Mm-hmm. And I've been on HRT for the past three years. Okay. So I'm quite, I'd say I'm quite experienced for yep. someone quite young. Um, and what age are you, sorry? I'm 20. 20, yeah. okay. Um, so I've done, I've had a lot to, I've seen a lot and yeah. heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been a rough few years um, as things have started to heat up and people have started to use trans people as a political football. Mm. Yeah. Um, which has really been frustrating for yeah. everyone that I've talked to. I, I, just to give people clarity, I, th- I think uh, people t- struggle to understand, you know, you know, what tra- the transgender community are going through. So just to to, to be absolutely clear, what what t- type of medical process are you talking about here? What what is it? Was it HT? HRT. Yes. HRT. So, you know, explain mm-hmm. a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So I um started when I was uh. I started my medical transition when I was probably about ooh, 15, I would have been, mm-hmm. um, which didn't include any hormone replacement therapy. It was puberty blockers at the time. Um, so it just stopped the puberty that I was going through, um, allowed me more time to make decisions. Um, totally safe, totally reversible, because there's been a lot of debate about that. But anyone that actually looks at it um, will realise that it's a completely safe thing that a lot of um, cisgender children go through as well mm-hmm. if they start puberty too early. Um, and then when I turned 16, that was after two years of seeing a gender specialist at Sandyford Clinic in Glasgow. Um, and then when I turned 16, I made an appointment and I saw a psychiatrist. Um, so both the psychiatrist and the psychologist signed off before, uh, and I had to sign off as well once they'd ran me through the risks. Um, and I started HRT, which for me is testosterone injections every three months. Um, I'm coming up for my next one soon, um, and that basically just allows me to um, live as a man. So it includes things like um, facial hair growth and my muscle density changes, and I gain weight in different areas. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's a it's a pretty simple procedure or a pretty simple thing to go through. Um, it's relatively easy and pain free, and it's been honestly life changing for me because people Good, don't recognize trans healthcare sometimes and they're like oh it's not that important but when you see the difference when you really do see the difference when someone starts hrt or even puberty blockers because they're finally their body is starting to align with how they feel and that's a really powerful thing Mm, absolutely and obviously you're 
you know far more than just your gender identity yes. <laughs> um what do you do with yourself yeah i um i'm a student and just finishing third year right. of my degree what which, are you doing uh, policing and criminology wow which is also a very interesting topic at the moment um, and is um i adore my subject um right. i spend a lot of time reading and trying to stay educated on the topic um and I really, truly adore it. Um, yeah. <laughs> other than that, I'm, I'm a typical student. Um, yeah. I stay up too late, probably yeah. drink a little bit more than I should. Too, too, <laughs> one too many nights out, the, the, mm, the usual yep. stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, do you have any other passions in life? What's your... Yeah, I, um, I'm actually a very spiritual person. Oh, nice. Um, love so that. So I try to come at everything from just a space of understanding and love um, is it so is that a religious thing is that does that come from um, faith or it somewhat does uh -huh. um it's different from sort of organized religions but i am very passionate about making sure more that i just treat everyone with love and kindness um, love that. no matter their views which can be difficult <laughs> yeah. um I, I think it's important that like we remind ourselves of what, what you know yeah. pe people like their, their core values when they when they come from faith I, I think it gets forgotten about because a lot of people just aren't religious now yeah. certainly our generation i don't know if you feel mm -hmm. that but i yeah. i certainly feel that but I, I consider myself like a modern christian like i, I mm -hmm. kind of agree with a lot of the principles that you know christianity teaches mm -hmm. i do i do i think it's characterized as as well or as as valid as it is from the bible probably not like I, um but I, I think there's something in there and certainly the yeah. principles that you're talking about are, are really important I, I, I think that does get forgetting about in modern society mm -hmm. um so that's great i mean you talked a little bit about you know going through the risks when you were when you were doing your mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by that and, and how does that yeah. feel to for it to be called a risk is, is there yeah um you get sad so after you're a, an appointment with a psychiatrist um, they'll sit you down and they'll say whether or not they think that you should be referred for um, hormone replacement therapy, um, which is was a stressful time because I was worried that they were going to say, no, you still need to work on things or you're not, I don't know, committed enough, um, <laughs> which didn't happen. He agreed. Um, and then he sat down and he ran me through um, a paper that had all of the medical side effects on it. Um, and I'm, you know, used to, like, you get a packet of paracetamol, there's a paper in it, and it gives you all the side effects. Yeah. But this was a doctor sitting down with me going, you're at increased risk for blood pressure issues, heart attack, um, male pattern baldness, all that sort of thing. Um, increased appetite, increased, you know, loads of different things. Um, and he ran me through it, and then I had to, I think I had to sign that bit of paper. Did I have to sign it? There was something that I remember having to do to mm -hmm. say that I accept these risks, which I did. I'd been desperate for... Um, I'd had to wait uh, about nine, ten months for this appointment with the psychiatrist because they're so understaffed. Um, and I was like, yep, uh -huh, that's fine by me. I, I've i been thinking about this since I was probably 15 and I was about 17, or almost 17 at the time that I did this. Mm -hmm. Um so i was i was ready for it <laughs> and, and have you always known in yourself that your your mental phenomena isn't aligning with your body like how at, at what early age did you start to realize that um i think there was a part of me that had always sort of known because uh -huh. i was i was the typical tomboy 
I love to play rugby. I love to be on the boys team. I'm like, yeah, I want to be. I want to be like one of the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely coming into puberty and watching my classmates um start to sort of fall more into the traditional what you'd expect the traditional gender roles to be so girls you know growing hair and getting their nails done and boys being all rough and tough and all that sort of thing i really felt a little bit lost mm-hmm. i was like well i i'm supposed to be like this but i don't really feel like i want to do all those things and i had really short hair at the time i was cutting my hair um and it took me it didn't take me very long to work it out um but i didn't know the word for it i'd never heard of um transgender i'd never heard of anything trans really um it wasn't educated to me in schools it wasn't something that i saw a lot in the media um in media that i consumed i love to read books i'd never come across a trans character in a book um and it wasn't until i was looking online and trying to find other people that identified with my experience that I came across what trans was and it just clicked it was like oh this is this is me I'm I'm like this mm. um and from that moment I I knew who I was yeah and and you know what do you know what is really interesting what you just said there because I can resonate with that feeling because uh, you know I speak about my EMEA a lot, and a lot of people will point out it's not the same thing, but I resonate a lot of the experiences that people talk about because obviously I went through a significant period of my life where I was going through significant pains, double significant. <laughs> I was going through all these pains, and um, I couldn't work out what was wrong with me. And I was I was exhausting all options. You know, I had doctors tell me, look, nothing's wrong with you. It might, be, it might just be in your own head. Mm-hmm. And the amount I'd done just to try and get some sort of recognition and diagnosis of something it drove me mad yeah. and i like you you said there it, it wasn't until you looked online and you found people shared experiences because i was the exact same and i went online and i found out about you know chronic pain and some of the symptoms and stuff and i thought god i was like that is exactly what i'm going yeah. through and it, and actually it got amplified with long covid because of the similarities that amy and long covid have and the more I was reading about it, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Like, I've been going through all this, you know, just to give a bit of context, you know, I've been on a hospital bed about to get my tonsils ripped out because I thought it was yeah. tonsillitis. Mm-hmm. And it, that sense of relief when it just clicks for you and yeah. you go, wow. I was like, so is, is that the kind of, is that the kind of feeling that you're talking about? Is it? Yeah, it was, it was almost a homecoming. It was almost a, yeah, ex- yeah. like, this is, oh my God, there's a word for it. Because a lot of people don't like labels, and I respect that, but there was finally some way to discuss and talk about what I was feeling mm-hmm. without the confusion that I was trying to manage in my mm-hmm. own head. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that confusion and this lack of, you know, lack of awareness, lack of validation that, that really it can drive you mental. Like it drive you, you know, I can really drive you up the wall. And and I think this is what the the GRR bill was meant to do. It was meant to make the process less potentially traumatic for yeah. people like yourself. And I, I think, you know, I, I look at the lived experience of, of myself and the, the, the hardships of for for example getting financial um support for my ME and when I had to I had to get a taxi up to a room of people, um who were all staring at me and all making notes of me and I was literally like shaking with my anxiety like my head was like rattling about 
and I, I went home and I literally passed out for hours. I was in so much pain afterwards. I was like, that was absolutely horrible. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And when, when I read that in order to gain that gender recognition certificate, you have to present yourself in, a, in front of a panel of strangers, I thought, God, are they going through that as well? Because that is absolutely horrible. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, for example, you know, the, you know, seeking a diagnosis isn't easy as you, as you've said because of the lack of staff. What about the gender uh, recognition reform bill? What about that would have made your life significantly easier? It was, and it is supposed to be about making one pro one very hard process for trans people that little bit easier. It was gonna um be able to let people self-identify mm -hmm. which is so important because of this lack of staffing that we have within the gender services so it took me three or four years to get my official diagnosis to say that i'm trans i'd known for a lot longer than that yep. um i and it's yeah it was just supposed to make it a lot easier a lot calmer was supposed to take down wait times from two years to three months. Mm -hmm. It wasn't removing them, which I think is important because a lot of people are like, oh, you can just show up one day and claim yeah, yeah. you're trans. Of course. No, it goes from two years, which is a long time. And over that two years, I was never more sure. Um, or over a period of two years, um, when I first started, I was never more sure. Um, I was supposed to take that down to three months, um, which would have been amazing for so many people. Um, and also lowering the age to 16 was very important as well because in Scotland we're classified as adults at 16. You know, we can vote, we can... Um, oh my God, <laughs> I've forgotten all the things you can do at 16. <laughs> Mind blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can vote and you're considered... You join the army, you can yeah. get married. Yeah, yeah you can yeah, do... Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, there's so much that you can do at 16 um, and you can start HRT at 16. Mm -hmm. You can start the process of transitioning your body to become closer to the gender in which you identify with but you can't legally call yourself that gender or in certain situations um also the funny thing is i don't have a grc i'm more than qualified for or qualified i'm more than capable of gaining one but it is it affects such a small area of my life mm. because i don't have any plans on getting married anytime soon i don't plan on dying anytime soon um and i don't really have any significant feelings are in my birth certificate so i've never felt the need to change it um so at some point i will go and get myself a grc but i've not felt that i required one yet and i know there are people that do and i totally respect their decision to get one but it's not required for all trans people and there's been such a fuss kicked up about it that you'd think it was you know going to allow trans people to be able to commit crimes or something like and absolve them of something like that but it's just as simple as being able to get married as the gender that you um identify with and die with dignity mm. and it's interesting that you've said there was a huge fuss about the certificate in particular because that's uh, what women were most concerned about was the yeah. safeguarding in place to you know disallow men to attain that certificate that mm may not can be considered a, a transgender a woman um but and but can you understand at all 
the sort of fear of of safety for women is especially you know when when you've got met police like D- david carrick oh, yeah. was it david carrick did i can't, can't remember his name you know and the and the entrenched and institutionalized sexism in in in, in our police stations and then they go on their phone and they hear about uh, you know all these sort of scare stories about really peculiar cases of these of these things he understands why women would be afraid of that and what would you what would you say to them to to almost comfort them and essentially i do 100 percent empathize i like i would consider myself a feminist because i do believe that there is entrenched um sexism in almost every walk of life that shouldn't be there um and I can I can empathize with the women who thought I saw this and were scared because it is understandable when the media and certain politicians are telling you that this is going to be dangerous for you because we're supposed to, a lot of people do trust the media and trust their politicians to tell them the truth um but there were so many lies and so many half-truths and so many things that were exaggerated. For example, the number of trans women in Scottish prisons. That was such a big debate. There is four trans women mm. serving in women's prisons currently. That is, that's such an inconceivably small number mm-hmm. compared to the prison population. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things were blown out of proportion. And they were scaring women who... Uh, th- that's not the group to scare they already have a lot to worry about when there are so many institutional problems uh, trans people aren't a threat there are some that are but there are also cisgender men that are a threat there are also cisgender women that are a threat there are threats everywhere unfortunately um that sounds a bit scary that's not how i meant that <laughs> the, someone's gender identity or transgender status is not what identifies them as a threat their behavior does and on the whole trans people aren't looking to um attack women or aren't looking to um hurt anyone we just want to be able to live our lives really Mm. um so it is it's really upsetting that women or that some women get scared by that because I just want them to be able to feel safe as well. Mm. And as far as I understand it, the whole conversation surrounding the bill that the Scottish government presented was to make the trans community's lives a little bit easier. You know, to, mm-hmm. to take away some of these processes that can be traumatic, mm-hmm. uh, to to take away this this notion that we present ourselves in front of a panel of strangers to prove yeah. who we are, and sort of reaffirming this general trends and of of queer people saying you know i love who i am mm. and i shouldn't have to prove that to anyone and i, yeah. I think that as a, as a general trend that's a healthy way to be going in terms of the society that we all want you know yeah. and um I, I you know i find it difficult myself because i'm you know i'm a cisgender male I, you know i haven't <laughs> I, sometimes i see politicians tweet like, saying like oh like look at all the men getting raging and like i don't like it's not that i mean i, I think it's quite obvious why I, I sympathize with the trans community so much because of my lived experiences i, I kind of you know I, I see where they're coming from but you're right there has there has been a lot of inflammatory language used we've taken a terrible turn in terms of the conversation we were having mm-hmm. because it's turned into 
not how we can make your guys' life easier. It's now turned into, do these people even exist whatsoever? Um, and I was wondering, you know, what you thought about the recent development of the, the, the EHRC, you know, intervening and saying, look, we're going to change what it means to ha have sex in terms of what's in the Equality Act. Because mm -hmm. um, we're now going backwards. We're now saying, no, we, sh we should sort of, you know, we shouldn't allow you know, safeguards and, and caught like sort of compromise for transgender people. We're now saying we should scrap that altogether. We want more safeguards. Um, because I th when I, the, my first reaction is how do intersex people go to the toilet? <laughs> like, <laughs> like quite, quite literally, because this, this idea that we're all men and women, right. Mm -hmm. Is, is a very reductive view of biology for, mm. for example there's many genes like the sry gene that can infect whole, whole hormonal development there's a couple of others that i've talked about mm. um in, in my articles and um, you have intersex people that like that is a thing okay maybe it's one percent of the population but it's true yeah. <laughs> it can have you can't categorize a hundred percent of the people on the surf by the sex characteristics that we have traditionally perceived as men and women. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder what your thoughts are in this, in this new development of the conversation to say, no, let's just throw all of that in the way. Let's get back to the bread and butter, men and women, and the, the overly simplified view of our definition of the human body. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was actually kind of scary um, as a trans person to see that because it, it's completely true. The debate then come, becomes okay, if we're separating the sex characteristics, first of all, yes, where do intersex people go? They don't fit into your traditional conceptions of uh, man and woman, and I, many of them don't, you know, a lot of intersex people sometimes are trans or non-binary as well because that aligns more closely with how they feel. But it was also concerning because if you're going to identify people by biological sex then where do I fit? Mm. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm a transgender man. Um, many people <laughs> have told me I'm biologically a woman. But in no aspect of my life anywhere am I identified as a woman. Mm. Um, on, all, on, my driver uh, on my driver's license, it says Mr. On all of my you know, legal documents, it's usually Mr. Um, at work, I'm a man. And that... It was a concerning development to begin with, but it also opens the door for further developments that are even worse. Um, it actually felt very much like a step towards what we're seeing in America, with you know bills being introduced in every in almost every state, um, which are demonizing and making trans people. Well, I mean, there's a bill currently in America that would force trans young people to detransition. There's people using genocidal language, and I don't say that lightly, for trans people. Mm. And that's scary. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and, and you know, it's not just, um, you know, you don't even have to point to the extreme examples in America to get a decent mm. idea of that, because if you li listen to the lived experience of a lot of transgender people in the UK, their social anxiety is 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 can be through the roof. Their the rates of suicidal thoughts are are monumentally higher than in, in cisgender human beings, um, and it's 
it's it's it's scary stuff. You know, I I, I really I, I I felt for the trans get gender the the transgender community yesterday, because it you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's become really difficult, and and when it when you think about the real threat to life, that's when you start to think, wow, this is this really is a problem. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see from politicians? You know, are you pl- politically active yourself? I am quite politically active. Um, it was a very tense um, SNP leadership <laughs> race. Uh-huh. I found that quite diff- not difficult to watch, but the ways that the debates were sometimes and it was the same with the Tory leadership contest turned into these um this sort of culture wars and using trans people like i said at the beginning as a political football to score points was concerning i was very happy when hamza youssef um won because he was the only candidate that i felt would be able to support me in my community um for politicians as a whole just a little bit more compassion because i remember i was listening to um the grr debate um when it was happening and um, back in december and it was actually upsetting me mm. because they're using language for people like me and people that i know in such a horrific way and you know and using generalizing terms for a community that is just trying their best mm. it's about having that compassion it's about talking to trans people because we don't have any trans politicians there's no there was no one in that debate that had the lived experience to be able to say this is good or this is bad they were going on what they'd been told by other people which is how a lot of things work i understand but it felt very exclusionary. It felt like we were just a, uh, another debate, like you know, free bus travel or like something like that. It, we were just a talking point, mm-hmm. and not the actual people that ended up out on the streets protesting. And I remember truly when the Section Thirty Five happened, I cried because it was like it was such a step backwards. And it was such a kick in the face for a community that was just trying our best. And we'd had one tiny little win that was so powerful. And then it was just like like that, like the snap of the fingers, and it was gone. Mm. And as it felt like such a heavy-weighted uphill struggle, it, mm. keeping up with the political environment, you know, is, 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 that, is that how it's felt? You know, is is there any glimmer of of hope in what you've seen? Um, it's been difficult to find them, um, especially looking at Westminster when both of the two major parties are both calling for the same thing. I, I, a lot of people have said this about a lot of different issues, but Labour no longer feels like an opposition. Mm. They feel like a mini Tory party. Um, with a lot of their views, but especially when it comes to trans people, because they're agreeing with recommendations that would see, you know, protections removed. Yeah. Um, and they're not opposing the government. And in some ways, that's worse, because um, we sort of know what to expect from the Tories in relation to trans rights. 
and a lot of us have accepted that it is what it is they have their views um but to see the opposition and in some ways our last hope also say the same thing it's it's hard yeah (laughs) but um the scottish parliament i'm very glad for i'm very glad to live in scotland um I'm glad that the major political party is led by someone that has stood up for our rights. Um, when he announced his deputy first minister, the first thing that I did was went to see how she voted on the GRR bill because I was concerned they try and spread as spread the not um or bring the party together, mm-hmm. but in a way that would maybe not be great for trans people. Mm-hmm. But I was very pleased that she had agreed with the MGRR bill. Um, so the leading party in our parliament is quite divided at the moment, but there are those little moments of hope. And also the GRR bill passed in Scotland with a majority. Yeah, 67% I think it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a pretty good majority for people to be shouting about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I completely... Um, understands why that would be, um, you know, that would take a dent to your hope. You know, see, I think Stormer in particular is someone that I've criticised over the past few days because, as you said, you, you know, they talk about political football, you know, Labour have been going on, on about how they're going to modernise gender recognition, maybe albeit not go, you know, as far as the uh, the GRR bill that Scotland proposed would, but we'll definitely modernise it. And the way, the way I sort of sort of looked to that in particular was like right okay so they've listened to the two women that they are they are scared that they're mm. they're sort of single sex spaces you know they're they're when when they're in vulnerable moments that that might mm. might be you know exploited by by some people so they've listened to them but they said look we're, we're going to modernize it because it does need modernized you know the the notion that you have to and i say it again like if, if, yeah. you know present yourself in front of a panel of strangers and go through that anxiety inducing moment mm-hmm. perhaps you know change the medical diagnosis you know let's not call it something like dysphoria where it's grounded in anxiety and mm-hmm. and depression and instability let's let's give these people a bit of dignity to say okay well you know they they love who they are so let's let's sort of diagnose them appropriately. Do you know what I mean? It's because I, I can, I can empathize with that um, experience of trying to tailor yourself to a certain diagnosis, but not quite fitting in with how you're feeling mm-hmm. just because you want something done about it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really difficult thing to be wrestling with in your own head. And in an era where you're looking after mental health, these are the kind of things that we should be looking at. Yeah. Um, especially with the pressures that we have with social media. Um, and and I think these things are really important. So when Labour said, we're going to modernise it, look, we don't have the details just yet. It's fair enough. Look, we, we expect all the answers from politicians every waking moment. It's understandable that they may, maybe don't have the details. And I think it's right. They should have a right to say, look, we'll, we'll have a manifesto. We'll, we'll have this all this laid out at some point. But but, but to say, I, I can't remember which day it was last week, but it was like a trans awareness day, was it? It was Friday. Vis- visibility day. Uh-huh. And on that day when they tweeted the transgender flag and said and, and reaffirmed that position we're going to modernize it and then days later said well look we welcome what the ehrc are doing and going backwards and reaffirming these mm-hmm. ar- archaic notions of man and woman that society has come up with to develop a system that feeds into inequality for women in particular mm-hmm. um 
I, I find that disappointing, and I, I'm, and I'm not a trans person, and I generally felt like, you know, I, I think we need a lot of reform in, in the Westminster system. I would like to think that even changing the first past the post system, for example, would make the, these parties more accountable, and you wouldn't have safe seats and all this kind of thing. And I think the some of the language that Starmer has been using in recent weeks, like like sorry, citing Margaret Thatcher and. You mm. talk about excessive crime, putting police on the streets and stuff. It's not really labour, and I, and I can't I can't help but think is he only saying this to get votes, yeah, done mm. and 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 confirmed for him, and and that just reaffirms that the trans issue was being used as political football. So, mm. I I generally feel I feel really sorry, like I I do. It's it, it's it's hard to watch, and although I'm not even affected by it, um, in in a sense. I am more generally the the fact that we've got a system that isn't tackling the issues that we really want to. You know, we've got a majority of people that didn't vote Conservative in the last election, and yet they've got an eighty seat majority, and they're putting in place policies like stop the boats, which no one wants to see happen. This 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 you know mind boggling idea that we ship off these people to Rwanda and take away modern slavery laws is just ridiculous. You know, if you ask the the overwhelming majority of people in this country will not vote for it. So I I I feel it, the reason it, it hurt my feelings so much is that it just reaffirms that we're in this system of opposition versus government that is tailored to suit themselves and things aren't getting done as a result of it. So I certainly felt that myself. Um, but listen, we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I want to thank you again, Ethan, for coming down and sharing your experiences. Is there anything else you'd like to say before, you, before we uh, finish up or... I know I've just talked to you <laughs> with a mental <laughs> amount of information. Okay. That was a bit of a <laughs> well off on one there, but uh, mm-hmm. that's what podcast is all about. So, <laughs> I yeah, I think people just need to have a little bit more compassion generally, but especially when you're watching people get used as political footballs and whole groups being used as political footballs. Um, trans people are just the latest moral panic for people that are trying to fearmonger. Um, it was gay people, it was people of colour, it's refugees as well at the same time. We are just people who are just trying to live their lives like everyone else. And that's all people really need to know. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs>